dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. And we are here, all of us, once again together for another edition of Blunt Business presented by the 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. Do you want me to keep talking about this, or are you just going to go buy your tickets? I'm just asking you, please, go get tickets. You want to be at this show. There's not even a question why you shouldn't be here. You're going to have great people that have been here on Blunt Business, the kind of conversations we've had here on Blunt Business. You listen to this show. There are tens of thousands of you that listen to this show each and every month. I know you love this show. Come see me in Miami. Come visit all these wonderful people that we're bringing together. Great conversations. We're going to have a great expo floor. And so much to be there for. We want you to be there. We hope you'll join us. Again, you can learn more at usccexpo.com. Make sure to join us there, usccexpo.com. Now, roughly 8,700 communities, or 12% of all U.S. Census tracts, have been approved as opportunity zones since the law went into effect last year, January 1st, 2018. There's been major buzz in the media about these zones lately, but many don't understand exactly what they are. And how do they pertain to the cannabis industry? Well, here to tell me about that is Tim McGraw. And no, do not confuse him with the the talented husband of Faith Hill. No, even though I would wish he was, if, if it was him, I wish I was him. But I would still wish I would be Tim McGraw, the CEO and co-founder, or the CEO and founder, excuse me, of CannaHub. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, I just want to make the important, the important uh, point that his name is not even Tim McGraw. It's Samuel Timothy McGraw. I'm actually <laughs> Timothy McGraw. The real Timothy McGraw. Yes. And he was not when, – when I was born, he wasn't anything. His dad – I was actually <laughs> nicknamed Tug as a kid because his dad was a baseball player named Tug McGraw. So I've been, I've been dealing with the McGraw name for a long, long time. But, yeah. Uh, but then, no, it's it's all right. But you know what? Like. It's, it's got to be a good icebreaker. I was gonna imagine. I remember one guy used to talk to uh, uh the guy who was named Joe Lewis. And he's like, "So what's your name, Joe Lewis?" Oh, okay. So I'm Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind yeah. of stuff like that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's every every phone call with any customer service rep of any kind. <laughs> they can't help themselves. I mean, so it's every day. I'm booking an airline ticket. Is this the real Tim McGraw? Yes, I'm the real Tim McGraw. Right, so uh, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about Indian Outlaw or Cherokee Choctaw. But that's, yeah. again, we could talk songs, we could talk like that all we want. Opportunity <laughs> Zones is very important. So let us yes. uh, let me go ahead and preface this for the audience here. Yep. Opportunity Zones, put simply, because I need the simplification, are mm-hmm. economically distressed communities. To encourage long-term investment and growth of these areas, the federal government is offering investors significant tax benefits if they reinvest capital gains into an Opportunity Zone. Now, Canahub, has created America's first cannabis business parks, and its largest one is right in the center of an opportunity zone. The company's largest development is in Williams, California, making it even more attractive for investors to looking to pace bets on the booming cannabis industry while maximizing capital gains. So I kind of gave the layout, but I'm sure, let me give it to the expert. Tim, tell me more about opportunity opportunity zones and what this, uh, is this all about? Well, it's uh, regardless of your politics uh, with Trump and the administration, uh, I don't think anybody could argue that this tax incentive uh, or, or tax break, if you want to call it that, yeah. is probably the most well thought out ever as yeah. far as 
making sure that the impact was real and where we wanted it, right? In, yeah. in areas that needed that 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 uh, that economic impact and that stimulus. So now, well, it's a bit of a misnomer because there are opportunity zones that are not struggling. Let's be honest. Yeah. Every every single Trump property is in an opportunity zone. So <laughs> there are, you know, there's parts of Manhattan that are in opportunity zones. So but there's a different story in terms of how you see certain legislation when certain when when the laws are passed, where there's opportunities for those that might have been uh, distressed in terms of a criminal record or just the mm-hmm. areas where they're 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 distressed in, they're able to access jobs. But this is more of an economical impact to that community, which is a really oh, the tax break. It's, it's twofold, really. I mean, yeah. and that's why it's so beautiful is the the tax savings realized by any investor that puts into an oppor- a qualified opportunity zone business is unheard of. I mean, eight years uh, de- tax deferral on that initial capital gain, right? So uh-huh. you sell a property for a million bucks, you, your cost basis was 500 grand, you have a $500,000 capital gain. You invest that in any qualified opportunity zone business, and you defer those taxes for eight years. On top of that, damn! If you hold it for ten years, you pay no taxes on the investment. Let me go ahead and explain this because this was actually something that you were tossed about by a national real estate investor. They recently wrote about exactly this. So let me explain just what you said. Investors can divert tax payments on recent capital gains until 2026 if those gains are reinvested in an Opportunity Zone fund or business. Gains from an eventual sale of the Opportunity Zone property or qualified business will also be tax-free if the investment is held for 10 years. Additionally, if equity in the property or business is sold prior to 2026 when the program sunsets, that 10-year-old hold period required for elimination of capital gains tax will reset. And the program That's, deadline might be 2026. IRS is going to allow investors to continue claiming this benefit until 2048. That's so, crazy. That's the craziest part of it, really, right? Is and this this that part just came out in the most recent set of rules. I was I spoke at an Opportunity Zone conference, and literally, I think they released released that guidance two or three days before. So everybody was still kind of analyzing it. Yeah. Everybody I, I walked into is like, "Where is the downside?" There was <laughs> there was nothing articulated in those in those uh the guidance from the irs that was negative it was all positive the biggest part being the the fact that you can hold an opportunity zone investment for nine years if you got in now if you started did it in in uh, uh, 2019 for nine years and 10 months and then sell that to somebody else and their clock restarts on the 10-year tax abatement or or, or, or on the, the tax savings that's crazy. So it's it's created a basically a market for for opportunity zone equities. Where Let's talk about that as well. Now, despite these exceptional tax benefits, here's the funny part. So investors have been slow to invest, and cannabis real estate projects and operations within these zones, however, are going to be to attract investors. Unlike liquor stores, country clubs, massage parlors, tanning salons, cannabis users are not among business operations ineligible for these tax benefits. So. Talk to me about the investment would benefit other companies, and you know, why are you surprised that other companies besides cannabis have not jumped on this? I, I think they are. I think real estate right now is definitely the focus. Uh, opportunity zone investments have become a real estate play. Uh, it's obviously the safest way to attack this, as opposed to equity investments in startups and 
you know, uh, far-flung type business ideas. So a lot of investors with capital gains are real estate investors. So they naturally gravitate to what they know, right? So the opportunity zone real estate play has been the biggest play, but that doesn't mean that it's limited to that. So in Williams, not only do we uh, reap the rewards of the tax breaks because our investors do, but our tenants or operators, they, the, the investors in their companies also reap the rewards. So it's twofold. I mean, and it, it's, it is really amazing what this is going to do for some of these small towns like Williams. You know, towns of 8,000 people with 40% unemployment in the off season as agricultural community. Wow. You know, um, average, average, average household incomes right at or just below the poverty level. So that's the goal, right, is to infuse and, 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 and create stimulus in those areas. And I think it's going to do that. I mean, I know that it's going to do that. And just I, wait. We're going to get to talk about Williams in more detail. I do <laughs> got to take ourselves to a break. But, I'm, you know, I'm here with Tim McGraw, the CEO and founder of Canahub. This is – see this kind of conversation right here? I love this kind of chat right here. See, don't you like this, Tim? I do. This I is like the kind of thing – can I tell you? This is what I'm saying about – this is where you got to come to our show coming up in August. Listen, I'm not just here to shill, okay? Really, I know people might just assume that, but really, I'm invested in this show. I'm working with this show. I'm putting all my outside effort from here onto that show because I want this to be successful. And this kind of conversation is the kind of conversations we're going to have at that show, okay? Because we're going to talk about different issues we're going to be talking about on this program, accounting at 280E. We're going to talk about investment. We're going to talk all about this, distribution, licensing, packaging, so much more. Everything you need to know about really priming and prepping and just enhancing your cannabis business or getting started into the business as an entrepreneur. This is where you want to come to. Come join us in Miami, August 3rd and 4th for the 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. Again, doctors can join us also if they want to learn about physician training, certification. You can actually take the exam to become a certified medical marijuana physician. And patients, if you're in South Florida, you're going to get to see a medical doctor. You can see a doctor all weekend for evaluation so you can quickly and easily get your medical marijuana card. Join us. We've got great keynotes all set and lined up. Great education speed networking. Join us. Log on to usccexpo.com. That's where you got to go right now. usccexpo.com. Secure your tickets today. We want to see you there. We'll be back with Tim McGraw in just a second. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. The National Cannabis Industry Association's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo returns to San Jose, California's McInerney Convention Center July 22nd through the 24th. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and take part in the most influential, award-winning cannabis conference and trade show hosted by the cannabis industry's only national trade association. NCIA's Cannabis Business Summit and Expo offers attendees three days of engagement and interactive programs. Arrive early so you can participate in our pre-conference workshops and off-site tours. Join hundreds upon hundreds of exhibitors and thousands upon thousands of attendees at NCIA's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, July 22nd to the 24th in San Jose, California. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches, allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. 
These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth sheepskin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with CannaHub CEO and founder Tim McGraw here on Blunt Business. So... Tim, James Mann, he's tax partner in the New York office of Greenspoon Martyr, LLP. He explained this right here, quote, Cannabis businesses are still subject to tax code 280E, which eliminates deduction of the business expenses for income tax purposes for any business operation that, schedule, that includes Schedule 1 and 2 drug production or distribution. But despite cannabis's status as a Schedule 1, Mann writes this, quote, that the tax benefits for investment in opportunity zones are unaffected by cannabis since the legal status under federal law, so investors can be assured that they can take advantage of the tax benefit. So again, further points here and the fact of uh, you know trying to deal with the tax issues, this tax break is so a big deal. But again, you know, does there anything that's on top of what we've already talked about that might be something to unwrap here that we should try to understand with the tax code and how it relates? Yeah, absolutely. I'd first back up to the to the uh, uh, the fact that 280E mainly applies to dispensaries, right? Mm -hmm. And the as far as the opportunity zone tax breaks, they, they don't they don't cross over, right? One is a essentially a rule that says that you can't write off anything but your cogs, right? Okay. Your cost of goods sold. That's 280E. That's why it's so onerous on dispensaries because they have their cogs, obviously, but everything else for them is administrative. So that's why 280 is so, so onerous on dispensaries. So those two things really don't meet because they're two separate tax issues. But what's important to note is cannabis, there's no dispute as to whether cannabis qualifies for this. A lot of people say, oh, well, a golf course doesn't qualify or a nail salon doesn't qualify, but a cannabis, cannabis does. Yeah. Well, I think it's important yeah. to note that they call it a sin, a sin business. I think that's a misnomer. What it should really be called is a recreational business. Right. What well, one thing all these businesses have have in, have, in, have in common is nothing, no, no uh, added public good. None of the, it's it's pure recreation. It's alcohol. It's golfing. It's things that don't add anything to the public domain. And that's cannabis is not. That's not true about cannabis. No. Cannabis saves lives. So cannabis is like aspirin. You know, it's like. Uh, any other medicine so it, it has a, a, a community impact that's that's real where those other those other things like nail salons and uh, tanning salons and golf courses that's pure recreation where cannabis has a, a, a real 
community benefit. And that has, well, and that's the promise that there's, well, because there's also dispensaries that are more of a medical sense. So you're coming in with your card, you're getting dispensed a product. But the thing too is that some of the stores are just more of the enthusiasts. It gets colluded, it gets confused, and obviously there's, you know, mainstream public, they're not getting informed right, and they're just getting some kind of a stigma that's just again stays around and sticks around. But then you know that's also when you talk about that, look at what the stores look like. Like a lot of the dispensaries, I mean, many of them, they're immaculate. They look clean. They're well presented. They look like iPhone stores. I mean, they're just there's a a real idea of great concepts, great looks. And so when you go into a store, it looks inviting. It looks pleasuring. It, I mean, it's just they're, they're well designed, well decorated, unlike any of these other stores that are buying dark tinted windows and things like that. And then also the regulations on top of that, where I know in Florida, you know, if you're in a dispensary, you can't necessarily have the windows visible to see all the product in front of you. You have to keep it in some kind of a blinder or some kind of a cover to it as well, which is bad. But then, you know, it's there's like workarounds you can do either with VR or certain certain things you could do to show the 360 look. But, you know. Cannabis is, is let's, let's all admit it, right? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big believer in regulated cannabis, meaning Correct. that I believe that if you sell it as a uh, medicine or even recreational, whatever, it needs to be, if you're selling it commercially, it needs to be pure. Right. There shouldn't be any pesticides in it, no heavy metals, no solvents. So I agree with, with third-party testing, and I think all cannabis that, go, that is sold to a consumer for any reason should be tested. But at the same time, it shouldn't be treated like it's plutonium. We are not dealing with a toxic substance here. There is no toxicity to cannabis. You could eat like 70 grams of it and have a bad day, but you're not going to die. Right. It's, so we cannabis, and it's good. It's a good thing for the industry. We went so far the other way because it, 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 it institutionalized us it normalized us it, it, it got people to accept cannabis but frankly cannabis is overregulated. period no you know, not to mention california when i've talked to every different company out here with their cultivators operators dispensaries <clears throat> and the kind of work they go through to create you know first of all let's just point out humboldt county look at the kind of regulations they put upon themselves the kind of sustainability Going everything organic, no pesticides, nothing to it. I, I just talked to an interview today that's going to go on the, the that's going to be playing before this uh, as an episode where you know they're using the water as a snow melt water to help you know yeah. using purity to make sure that everything they're putting into any kind of plant to grow and cultivate and harvest it's purely natural. There's nothing to it that there's any other compounds that are there. That, that's true in every regulated state. That's not just Correct. California. California has really, really high standards. Their, their pesticide tolerance is one part per billion, which is basically you could have a, a, a dirty machine and fail. I mean, any residual from any other test would fail. So it's impossible to pass a pesticide test in California if you've used pesticides because of the, because of the parts per billion it is. Um, but there is one thing but, to be said about the government regulations. They might be there. They, they, they have the regulations in place that are strong, but it has been one thing to enforce that and also to curb out the black market, which has been a constant problem. So I'm not you're saying, right, you're right. and yeah. I, I've been a little critical of California. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to, you know, uh, be hypocritical of what I've said on this show. I've said that there have been points where I've heard things where there could be things that we've done to help make sure that people stay at that bar or to exceed the bar of regulation that's well, of compliance that California has put in. But my whole thing is just that there's been other 
states, uh, people from other states that say, well, we have this kind of a level. You know, obviously, there's a little bit of a kind of a bracking rights, or our regulations are this high, or our regulations are this high. Well, it doesn't matter. It should just be go above the bar. If there, no, you're right. And what it comes down to is there needs to be an industry-wide standard, state to state, right? Yeah. We need to all agree on a parts per million for butane and residual solvents. And that needs to, at some point, be worked out. We're years away from that. Yeah. But the fact yeah. is this. The issue in California is not the rules so much as it is the size of the market and the ability to enforce them. Totally. That's that's really it. I mean, if you live in California or operate in California, you very quickly realize it should be at least three states. I mean, it is it is a huge, totally. huge state. I mean, it just it's it, like its own country, it really is. You don't think of L.A. and San Francisco. Most of California is super rural. I mean, True. and super far flung. So it's it's hard to wrap your arms around it. I I am, you know, I'm, I don't want to see anybody go to jail. I'm a libertarian. I don't think yeah. that. I'm not big on locking people in cages at all. Uh, and I fully support home grow and uh, recreational grow growing for yourself. That's, that should, should absolutely remain. But uh, please tell that, put that to the people that passed that law in Illinois because that was just, oh my God, that was just. Uh, I, can, I wish I could talk more about that. But I can't. I, I, I'm too we, inside we there. We just did not too long ago. I actually <laughs> talked to a, a, a cultivator in Oregon that worked in law for over a decade in Chicago that, oh my God, wait till you. Un- so it's Jonathan Lloyd and Green Star growing. Wait till you hear that interview because that unpacks just a slew of things they just did. Those just absolutely just off the mark. I love me, to hear it. I actually won the two two of the first twenty one licenses uh, uh, issued in Illinois. Congratulations! So I very, well, I helped pass the law in Illinois, and then then obviously applied. But there we go. It was, Illinois was the hardest state in the union to win a license. Period. Oh. I could totally imagine. And like I said, we've talked about it. We're going to talk about that more on, on future episodes. Let me get back to Canahub because Canahub in this Opportunity Zone environment, they're establishing two Opportunity Zone, Opportunity Zone funds, one to mm-hmm. finance the ground-up development and another one to fund cannabis operations. And you said that it will provide access, operators access to institutional capital by funding tenant improvements and operational build-outs. The project mm-hmm. is licensed for all types of operations except outdoor cultivation, including third-party testing labs, indoor cultivation, greenhouses, nurseries, volatile and non-volatile manufacturing, tissue culture labs, distribution, and transport. So fill me in on these zones that you are building out. Well, the idea from from day one, from my experience in Illinois and other states, right, is to make a, a create an environment that is super conducive to to help these realist, the, I'm sorry, to help these operators succeed. Yeah. So, yeah. Through my experience, I've I figured out what's important to operators. You know, first and first and foremost, you want uh, to be wanted. You want your local regulator, your city council, whoever it is, to be supportive. If you're fighting constantly with city hall, that is a tough way to run a business. Secondarily, you want regulations and rules that are conducive to, to making money and don't put you at a competitive disadvantage. So what we did was we went in and worked with cities that had bans in place already. Two thirds of the cities in California have cannabis bans. So we worked with cities that had bans, we wrote their zoning ordinances to a very business-friendly environment with no revenue taxes, no local revenue taxes, where the local taxes statewide on average are 7.6% of your gross revenue. So operators can can occupy space in our parks, save money on taxes, have all these the economies of scale being co-located with dozens of other operators, having uh, third-party testing labs on site. So there's no reason for the, for the product to leave the campus until it ends up in the dispensary. 
So that's a huge amount of savings on transport, uh, armored and secure transport. And, you know, just the collaboration and whatnot that will happen with these operators excites me. I'd love to see, you know, big, large-scale operators, sophisticated operators collaborating and in, in raising the bar. So that's going to be one of the cool, uh, you know, side um, uh, developments or one of the, one of the, one of the cool rewards is watching how our campuses full of these sophisticated operators push the cannabis industry forward. Let's go ahead and focus on Williams, California, which is, we, you mentioned it uh, during our first segment. Mm-hmm. So here's what it all works like. Now, quote, this is from National Real Estate Investor, the interview I mentioned earlier. You said this, quote, the combination of savings realized from on-site security, no local tax, and reduced transportation costs equates to millions of dollars in savings for our tenants. You note that besides the Opportunity Zone tax benefits, the city of Williams has no revenue tax. Quote, this is substantially competitive and business and the business advantage for our tenants for because it lowers their overhead, thus increasing margins for investors, end quote. You also added that the average local county tax in California is 7.6%, but it could be as high as 25%. So talk to me about this situation in Williams, California, and how it works for Canahub, and tell me about, you know, why was this market something that looks so appealing? Well, okay, so about three years ago when I started, or when I founded Canahub, uh, and we started essentially cold calling communities, our goals were, you know, first logistical, right? Because California is such a big state. You need your sites to give you good coverage, good access to I-5, 99, and access to, to, to the, the very, very large state. Uh-huh. So uh, Williams was one of the uh, early adopters or early uh, communities that, that showed interest. Uh, we, were, we were working with a, with a neighboring community. They found out about us and essentially invited us in to talk about this. And uh, we sat down and realized that we had the support of the community that we really wanted and needed, and that they, they realized that on the scale we're doing this, you gotta realize Williams is 1.25 million square feet. It's gonna create uh, over 1,500 jobs. It's gonna pump in uh, over $3 million a year directly into the city's coffers, not into the, not into the county, and then the city gets their piece of it, and they all get eaten up in bureaucracy, no directly into the general fund, our permit fees go. And then you have 200 million plus dollars in development money being poured into a town of 8,000 people. So what, again, one of the most exciting things for me is when what I do is seeing the impact that I have on, or that we have on these small towns. I did it in Illinois, I've done it in Florida, Maryland, all over the country. And you see these tiny towns transform into little, little boom towns, you know, like, a gold, like the gold rush except, uh, you know, this is long-term. We're not just digging up the gold and leaving. This is a long-term, uh, you know, historic impact on these small towns. So it was really just the, the towns getting it and understanding that the benefits that, they would, that they, would, they would see from this type of development and them realizing that cannabis, there is no boogeyman. You're not going to have people out protesting. There is no downside. You're not going to have an uptick in crime. There's none of these these potential or or claimed negatives ever come to fruition anywhere you look look in any state that is heavily regulated and you'll see nothing but positive change and positive impacts on the communities but of course you know there's some kind of a narrative that any kind of media puts out there for the mainstream media anyway that doesn't 
play to any kind of this what you're talking about right here we know that's what it is but that word doesn't get out to the mainstream public and that's what's unfortunate there has been pushback uh from the government and the particular person in the government about opportunity zones so i want to talk about that coming up after the break as we wrap things up here with tim mcgraw the can hub ceo and founder we're going to talk more with him in just a moment rolling into some sponsors but we'll be right back with more blunt business Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with final questions for Tim McGraw, the CEO and founder of CannaHub. So, as I mentioned before the break, MJBizDaily.com recently reported that Treasury Secretary, as Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin may be open to a bipartisan solution to marijuana firms' banking woes, but he doesn't believe cannabis businesses should have the ability to receive, quote, Federal Opportunity Zone tax credits. <clears throat> he said that during a Senate hearing, according to Bloomberg. He told the Senate Appropriations Committee that providing cannabis businesses with federal tax incentives even in states that have legal marijuana programs, isn't consistent with the 2017's tax law's intent. So, do you think that we should be concerned about this kind of thought, or is it just him kind of bucking against the administration? You know, I'm I'm not sure how to analyze that, uh, other than what I've been told by our lawyers, or several different lawyers in large CPA firms, that that's his opinion, that's not the IRS's opinion. Um, so... <laughs> I'm trying to put this delicate, delicately. Um, the general, from, from and I've talked to uh, Ernst and Young accountants, mm-hmm. you know, a, a big three accountants, and I hear over and over again what they're being told in their their regular dialogue with the IRS is that they do not have the time, or energy, or funds to even think about parsing words and hairs on this program Agreed. because yeah. it's it's such an important program. And again, it, with the IRS, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you've, you've had some a decent amount of experience with the IRS as I have, yeah. is if you make a good faith effort to follow the rules, you're following the rules, yeah. right? If, 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 the, if all the rules say this, 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 and this, and they explicitly leave something out 
and explicitly include other things like golf courses, then they've made the decision. You know, the, yeah. the, I guess they could go back and change it. But as the way it's read right now by all, every lawyer I've talked to and every CPA I've talked to, that's his personal opinion, essentially. So, you know, he, he can dislike it, I guess. But uh, the real test, as we all know, is, you know, getting a year into this and seeing what happens with audits and, and, and so on. That's why we're more focused on the real estate end of this. We're arm's length from cannabis. You got to remember, an investment in CannaHub is not an investment in cannabis. It's an investment in real estate. We happen to lease space to cannabis. So yeah. we're, as far as we're concerned, we are fully secure because we're not a cannabis business. We hold no licenses. We don't touch the plant. We build real estate. So now the application to those specific operators, I would still defend, but that's not something we say, you know, we, we tell them make your own determination. This is your own, seek legal counsel, seek your CPAs uh, on the operator, for operators. But on the, on the real estate side, I don't see any issue. And you know what? Uh, I, I agree with you on this because the fact is, if this was such a big thing, we haven't heard anything in 18 months about this since the implementation. So I don't think it really makes much of a difference at all anyway. And you know what? I think I, I would be much more concerned with the Treasury Secretary working on the banking woes and trying to get the Safe Banking Act put into, and put into fruition or something that would be even more beneficial to the industry. That's what I would be hoping for more than anything but, else. And it, well, it's also hypocritical to say yeah. that we'll apply this to you. You're a good enough business for us to screw you with 280E and, take, and, and apply that to you, but you're not a real business when it comes to this category. It, it's, so it's... It flies in the face of logic, really. No, this is why, we'll once again, I don't know how you feel about it, but this is where I want, eventually, when we have legalization come to the forefront, I'm in favor of the States Act. I want the states to regulate themselves. I don't want the federal government even near this. Just deregulate, you know, take take the schedule one off, and let all the states do what they want. Leave, a, the, leave them alone. The you know, California can there, more than figure the, things out for this. But so can the, the other states. The difficulty there is with interstate commerce. Right. So I agree with you. I think it should stay a state's thing. Yeah. Frankly, most large scale operators in big population states don't want it to go interstate because that screws up the markets big time. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, they want to be able to earn back the money that they plowed into these states before they introduce competition from other states. So it's going to be like, like you. I, I totally agree. I, I, I back the state's tech and I, I think that's the best route. But I think as far as just the... Uh, interstate commerce issues and how the laws sync up across state lines and all that transport, it's going to be a, a number of years before that's settled, I think. But then what has to happen is after the safe banking comes into place, there has to be an amendment towards interstate, interstate commerce. Maybe not the entire yeah. state, but for adjoining states, that should be allowed. It should be. What we need is the bridge across the middle of the country from Colorado to Illinois, right? You, got, you have uh, Iowa, that's uh, screwing it up. You have uh, Nebraska. So, yeah. yeah, once we're contiguous and you can transport through all legal states, then you'll be fine. But right now there's a there's a, there's like a one-state gap. Well, if there's one way to do it where just, you know, you keep commerce within just major highways, major thoroughfares, things like that. And then, you know, I, I don't know. This sounds like a crazy idea, but just like there's like a sun pass or a easy pass, there should be some kind of a way to be able to go ahead and monitor whichever vehicles are going around, where they're going to be going through, from what place to what place. I mean, truck drivers go through that all the time, so I don't see why they couldn't do that with the same way here. I, I Dude, there's nobody that would disagree with that. Nobody. The only, right. I guess there is one person, and that is the, the uh, uh, police. 
Yeah. They like locking people up. They love the status quo. They love searching for cannabis. Oh, I smell weed. We're searching your car. Then they didn't smell weed. They love law enforcement loves cannabis because everybody smokes it or, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of the population does. And they can use that to, to, to get you on other charges or, or, or mess up your life. So yeah. that uh, it's police pensions and law enforcement uh, and police unions, pension funds and law enforcement are the biggest hindrance and hurdle to cannabis. So let's kind of wrap things up here. And I really, Tim, I really appreciate this conversation. This has been great to kind of talk together all about this. So let me go and direct listeners to canna-hub.com where they can find out about the Cannabis Business Sparks, specifically the Williams campus. So as people go to the website, um, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about the process, about what you're able to do once again, just a real refresher and the Opportunity Zones, some of the things that you do in terms of the real estate process. Talk to us about that. Sure. So, uh, you know, there's obviously two sides to this. There's the investor side, real estate investor side, and then there's the operator side, you know, and what we do for each of those. For uh, the real estate investor, obviously, uh, both Canada both Hub campuses, uh, Williams and Mendota are in opportunity zones. The entirety of the Williams campuses and just a portion of Mendota is. But uh, there's, you know, especially in Williams, obviously, there's the, the tax benefits. You know, you can invest a, a large capital gain with us, and, and if you hold it for 10 years, essentially pay no taxes on it. And on the operator side, the savings comes from the co-locating, the on-site labs, the security on-site, all the things that they don't have to pay for anymore, and then you couple that with no revenue tax. And it's, it's at the end of the day, a competitive advantage for our operators that is real, I mean, real dollars. Cresco, our biggest tenant right now, is saving $10 million plus a year on taxes. That's that's substantial. You can't shake a stick at that. So it's, uh, I've been telling people, it's the confluence of the two hottest markets in the United States right now, cannabis and opportunity zones. There's, I'm pretty, I have my ear to the ground pretty well on investments and there's nothing right now that has more buzz than cannabis investments and opportunity zone investments. And CannaHub offers the ability to take advantage of both of those. It's a win-win situation. Agreed. I, I hate I hate saying that, but you're right. Yeah, <laughs> cliches. I know. Yeah, so cliche, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It is a win-win. It totally <laughs> is. So, Tim, thank you so much for being with us. Tim McGraw, CannaHub CEO and founder. Again, this Canna-Hub.com. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. This was a great. Uh, this opportunity zones we didn't get a chance to talk about but like i said i'm really glad that um we got to learn about the subject it this was something i think is very important i hope a lot of people get a lot out of this and i uh, hope to have you back again sometime soon absolutely thank you for having me and i'll see all you guys at the conference all right thank you so much and uh, for all of you that are listening in thank you for listening into the show again blumas is presented by the 2019 united states cannabis conference and expo make sure to go and join us Again, it's August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida. We hope you'll join us there. Again, learn more at usccexpo.com. You can download episodes of Plump Business by going to CannabisRadio.com, or you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.